This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today, my guest is drummer Danny Duchette. Danny is one of the rare Nashville, Tennessee natives living and working in his hometown as a musician. He's been working at Forks Drum Closet since 2005 and currently manages the legendary drum shop. Known as a skilled metal drummer, Danny can be seen around the music city, performing at one of the many community-supported events like Rare Hair, Industrial Night, the Rock and Roll Residency, just to name a few. Danny has also been involved in many original projects. If you want to support the podcast, you can join our Patreon page at patreon.com slash working drummer. For as little as a dollar a month, you can have access to all our educational content. In recent weeks, we've been adding quite a bit of content. That includes a video from former guests like Bruce Becker. He did a video just for us. We also have a video from former guest Brian Zach, where he goes into how to improve your ride swing patterns. And recent guest Mike Malone has five transcriptions of some amazing drummers and classic performances that he has made accessible to our Patreon members. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can make a one-time donation through PayPal. You can find that link on our website at workingdrummer.net. So I've known Danny for quite some time. Uh, For those that don't know, I actually worked at Forks Drum Closet when I first moved to Nashville in 2000. I was there 2000-2001. You can go back in the archives and find my interview with Gary Forkham. But after Gary sold the shop, there was a fear that Forks Drum Closet would lose its personality and its connection to the community. But Danny has done an amazing job carrying the torch and maintaining a connection to the music community here in Nashville. But Danny is also an amazing musician and a great drummer and can be seen often around town. So if you are ever in Nashville, you've got to take some time and stop by Forks Drum Closet and check out their amazing inventory and the great people that work there. But I hope you enjoy this conversation with Danny Duchette. probably going to have the person that may have grown up here and and knows what the town is all about and is very familiar with the history and maybe that person feels a lot of pressure to sort of live up to something like Mm -hmm. well i'm from the same town that you know xyz songs were cut here and i you know i better do good and and i've got something to live up to then you've got because so many people especially in, in the old days you you could run into any number of star just at the bank or the post office. Yeah, right. And and so there's probably a, a large number of people that 
are, are so accustomed to it, they don't even think twice about the fact that they live in a city with such a vast array of players. It's just sort of second nature, and they and maybe they grew up and they don't even realize other towns aren't like this. Yeah. You know, they, they may not understand the, the city that they live in. They just ran into Alan Jackson at the post office. And, and you know, you, maybe you don't get that everywhere, right? So uh, you're probably going to get all kinds of different answers to that question. Um, uh, for for me, it was it was something I think you know. Growing up in in um, in our house, my father uh, was a uh, steel guitar player uh, and harmonica player, uh, session musician and live musician. So uh, a lot of uh, the first part of my life, at least for me personally, was just sort of spent being around it all the time. And this was just sort of what work was. It was what my dad did for a living. And and you know, some some people's dads are firefighters, and my dad just happened to be a, a steel guitar player and, and a harmonica player. So, um, it, it wasn't until later, especially when I was more of a teen, when I started really sort of being cognizant of it, you know, personally as to as to oh, okay, wow, this this town is something special. I don't think I really was aware of it when I was a kid and, and playing with power rangers and stuff like that <laughs> still do who cares you know you still collect power rangers and batman figures there's nothing wrong with that um so so i don't know how to answer that question probably from a non-native standpoint but we get a lot of tourists in the store of course and, and oh wow and there's a lot of broadway maybe traffic where people aren't even necessarily a drummer or a musician they just are going up the street coming you know on 12th avenue when we were over there for all those years uh, people would go, especially as it was developing, they would go to those clothing stores and all the different restaurants that were up and down 12th, and they would sort of just happenstance come into our store and, and don't even play anything. And, and would you know they would have a whole list of questions of who, who do we know, who comes into the store, do we ever see this celebrity, uh, what's your most famous person that's ever been here, you know, all those kinds of questions, and you tell them all that. Um, and then, you know, then you hear the story about how they went to Broadway, how they, you know, saw the whole thing. Wow, we couldn't believe there was a band in every single window. And back at our town, you know, you, there's no bands that play live in our city. And, and yeah. you know, living here forever, you, you too, you know, it's kind of hard to even think about, you know, what's that like to not have just a row, like a giant street full of players. You it's know? crazy. Man. We just we're just accustomed it's hard to, to explain. It. Right. You know, um, so I think you just have to to be here and and hopefully you don't end up because I, I think we all go through our jaded periods where we just say oh I'm I'm selling all my drums and I'm not I'm not messing with this anymore and mm -hmm. I've had enough of the music industry and you know hopefully that that doesn't take root in you to the point where you don't want to do it any, anymore because it's a unbelievably unique and cool community to be a part of. It is fascinating and you're you touched upon something that. I think that everyone deals with in some degree along the arc of their journey and career in this thing is, especially with social media and this information age, we're seeing people do things and it seems like everyone's doing something cool but you. Absolutely. And in a town like Nashville or wherever, everyone is better than you. And if you have any hiccup, as we all do, it's so frustrating. And there are times that I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? And it's like, and you have this thing that comes up time and time again, people call it imposter syndrome. And I don't, let me ask you, when some of the people in the community 
that you have gotten to know over the years of working at Forks. Do you guys ever have some of these heart to hearts uh, conversations? It, it depends on who it is. I think for you, sure. I mean, I, you know, some people are going to probably be very guarded about sharing information, but definitely. And there's and there's something I think, and rightfully so, to be said for uh, as you're trying to because I mean what we're what we all do individually as players, we're all trying to build our own business, right? Being a self-employed musician, you're building your own business, and you have to anytime you're building a business, you have to be careful with what you do and how you're perceived and how you handle your customers or your clients in the music industry, whatever it's going to be. And so you're probably going to have a person who is like, you're saying guarded about it and, and is almost afraid to be honest because they don't want to come across one way or the other and, and be unhirable, hireable. Yeah. Um, and then you've got, especially when the store, you said the drum store, when the store clears out and there's one or two drummers in there that have shopped there for a thousand years and everybody knows everybody, <laughs> then the gloves come off and you really hear the real conversation, you know, like, like once, a new customer may come in and everybody wants to keep it on the level and above board. And then as soon as, you know, you take care of that person, you make sure they're okay and have a nice day. And as soon as it starts, that's when like the war stories of like, okay, back to what I was saying, I was playing this gig last night and the guy was drunk and it was horrible. And then you get like the, the real uh, deal. <laughs> yeah. Cause you don't want to, you know, you don't want to scare somebody off, right. That, that maybe just started playing drums. I promise it's not always this bad. There's lots of great stuff when you're playing drums. Um, last night's story at X, Y, Z bar, is is not necessarily the norm uh so you're probably going to hear uh people that are guarded about it and don't want to tell you exactly what they're thinking because they're they're maybe nervous about being perceived negatively or, or whatever it's going to be and and it's hard to be around negative people especially when you're when you're touring or in the studio or something playing you know it's it's all about relationships so people try to present a positive veneer as, a veneer as much as they can uh to to Oh yeah, I'm I'm cool to hang out with. Don't don't worry, I'm not gonna be a pain in the butt to, to work with. And and then other guys just don't care, you know. Especially the old timers, they'll just kind of say whatever's right, on their right. mind. And uh, I think I think people are comfortable about sharing things as long as they're comfortable with who they're around. It's probably like any anything. yeah yeah yeah. I, I it, it's just interesting that um, when I was there, I was there in 2000 and 2001. Working at the drum store? Working at the yeah. drum store. And I had just moved down, and it was the perfect way to figure out what was happening and get a lay of the land by all the people coming in. And a lot of drummers who I know and, and adore now had no clue. I didn't know who Greg Morrow was. I didn't know who Chad Cromwell was. And it's like, to just be around them and get to know who these people are just based on their personality as a as a human and then to find out later the records that they were on and the things that i was trying to learn that that they had played and that was like amazing but also it was the end of the 90s and things were changing nashville wasn't the same and so i was getting some of the people that were not of that caliber or not given the opportunities that some of these players like Greg and Eddie and some of these other players were having were very negative. You know what I'm saying? For sure. And that was a lesson for me in being like, interesting, like, I'm going to hear what you're saying. I'm going to take it with a grain of salt because I think you've been hurt, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I'm, I'm going to hear what you have to say. And, and, and that goes into a whole thing that I won't go into now, but it was just like the 90s was a scene. 
Oh yeah, two thousands is the early aughts were a scene, and and it, every five years it changes. Mm-hmm. So, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was this whole um, scene, or, uh, this this uh, all these like jams, and I don't know what word to put to it. But I, I wrote some of them down. Like there's recently there was grunge night, rare hair, loud jams, industrial night, rock and roll residency. Like all these different events that aren't like the normal gig to play in a club, to play in a theater, to play in a bar. They're not those gigs. They're like a place where. You get a bunch of different musicians. You have like as many drummers as there are songs, as many bass players as there are songs rotating out in and out in this community of musicians. And you've been very active in that scene. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about what those are. We've talked about them with some other guests in the past that have have been involved in them. And what is your motivation to participate in those things? And what's the benefit of participating in those things? The, uh, there, it's, it's really cropped up over the last couple of years. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's the, the ones you just listed there, I think, are, are, I think most people that have been in town long enough would probably say those are the main ones that they've seen. And, of course, there's other ones. You know, there's like those uh, – what's the one that uh, Dave Parks used to do? The drummers. Oh, drummer jam. The drummer jam thing. Yeah, I don't think yeah. there's been one of those in a while. But um, – so uh, it's 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 again it's a subjective answer you're you're probably going to hear something different from everybody for me personally my opinion about those events um first of all everybody that does those events uh puts them together that's an unbelievable amount of work yeah. that they're doing <laughs> uh if you've ever been involved with one of those events and you see the detail that goes into those email chains that that the hosts of those events, uh, either whether or not it's the Ivan's brothers or Tyson Leslie or uh, Tom Hurst when he was and Andrew uh, Dixon when they were doing loud jams or any of them, uh, John Nicholson that does the uh, the the um, industrial night, all of those email chains are crazy. They have to deal with two hundred musicians and all the replies from all those people, and they try to put to they try to they do the whole thing. They get everybody's song requests together. They pick and choose. They put the whole lineup together between, you know, t- typically a hundred to 200 players. And, uh, when, when you see those email lists it, that it's dizzying, you you say, Oh my gosh, how does that person have the much, that much talent and patience to put this event together? So, so first of all, kudos to all you, you folks that are putting those events together. Um, it's, it's pretty amazing to watch those nights take place and especially to, as all of all of their sort of respective brands of those different events have sort of grown over the last five and six years, how they've all turned them into huge uh, spectacles and also um, uh, draws and attractions. I, I think that uh, the most recent, I don't think it was an industrial night, but the most recent one of John's shows, they, they did a David Bowie night at the Basement East, I think it was two, three weeks ago, and... Uh, I didn't play or, or go to that one. I wasn't able to, but like the photographs, it was, it was crazy how many people were packed into the basement East. And it was, I mean, obviously a lot of people like David Bowie, but it was just, they knew they were going to get a, a great production because John's done such a good job at all the different industrial nights and different things that he's done. Um, you kind of know what you're getting into now because you've, a lot of people have seen these things really grow and become these amazing presentations. So it's probably a guaranteed 
uh, event that's going to be high quality music um, and they don't have to risk, oh, am I going to like this band or is it going to be any kind of music that I really know? So there's there's probably a safety aspect to it. You see Grunge Night, okay, by the Ivans, you know it's going to be two and a half hours worth of tunes that I that I'm familiar with as a listener and I can go and enjoy myself and it's going to be at a nice clean safe club and it's it's not going to be kind of weird or anything like that like some live shows can we've all played it can be um so it's a it's an interesting thing that's sort of taken its own legs and grown out of I think the first two were like rare hair and loud jams if I remember yeah, those were like yeah. the first main two mm-hmm. and then a bunch of players sort of kind of took took those as inspiration and kind of made their own things about it. Um, it's kind of a two, no, it's, it's, it's an interesting double edged sort of opinions because it's an amazing thing to be a part of because you get to meet and play with all these different talented players. It's a, a massive um, opportunity for just networking in general, yeah. because when you get there, you've got, 150 players on one gig and like how often does that happen um an, an old joke my dad used to say was you know son don't don't focus so much on making friends with as many drummers as you can focus on making friends with as many bass players and keyboard players and guitar players because that's who's going to hire you exactly you know you're not necessarily going to get hired by a drummer buddy right and so when you're at these at these gigs you know oh my god there's 35 bass players here or well maybe not that many there's not that many in in nashville proper (laughs) like 10 bass players uh but you know there's all these guitar players all these singers so so you can definitely um have the opportunity to shake as many hands as possible and also get heard in, in front of hopefully as many eyes and ears as possible which is is critical for a player anywhere this town included um but there's also I don't think this is a negative, but there's definitely a perceived uh, focus on cover nights as opposed to original music gigs in town. Uh, What I mean by that is you might see 10 different cover event sort of nights come along, but then you you read in in a Nashville scene or somewhere and you, you don't necessarily find any original band shows to go check out if that's what you're looking for and i mean part of that is because we all know it's difficult to get people to come see your original band you know it's it's something so many original bands struggle with so one of these cover nights with 200 players and a guaranteed crowd of three to five hundred people that are going to be there that's a guaranteed a successful gig you're gonna you're definitely gonna have people out there clapping and screaming and drinking and having a good time you're definitely gonna have players that know the material up there because everybody at those gigs is super pro and, and does their homework always um so it, it's back to the safety thing it's kind of a guaranteed good gig and and maybe and again this is going to sound negative i do not mean it in any negative connotation but there seems to be a little more focus on trying to put those nights together as opposed to just trying to build a rock brand from scratch and just writing your own tunes and going mm-hmm. and playing a show somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's fine. I, I've been in a thousand bands that have fallen apart for one reason or another. And, you know, I've definitely played in front of only the band's significant others and no yeah. one else. <laughs> right. So, I, of course, I understand that frustration for sure. And, and when you got a guaranteed gig that 500 people are definitely going to be at, of course it's a good idea to take that gig and do it. Of course it is. Um, so it's an interesting sort of subculture that that's definitely prominent right now. And it's, it's, it is a good thing, but 
um, hopefully the focus of of those things maintains true to what I know it is with all those people putting those events on. Uh, this is long-winded. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Um, I know those people are putting on those events to try and create and foster uh, fresh musical relationships with everybody that there is involved. So hopefully um, people will continue to take advantage of those opportunities to form their own original ideas. And it's okay if it's just a cover gig for you. I mean, most of what this town is is cover gigs. There's no problem with that. A lot of us make our money and, and pay our mortgages with cover gigs. Right. Um, so those are very important things. But I think I'm just probably complaining because I wish I could see more original bands in town. I, mm. I, I want to see a lot more original bands than mm-hmm. than than we maybe have. And, and maybe it's just because I don't, I don't get out as much as I used to because I'm not 20 anymore. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, so I and I don't think that is unique to Nashville. I think that's unique to every city. I mean, there were original bands in Columbus, and some of them that I was a part of. And, and again, it was just very rare to have a situation where there was a packed house. It's hard to, of course, it's it's very difficult to do. Yeah, yeah, as an original band. But but these jams and these other things that are put together, there it's an opportunity for people to hear you that maybe have a successful original thing happening that are out on tour, that are being a support band for another national act. Or maybe, I mean, we know people that have been picked up or been heard at these events that like, hey, we need a singer for Chicago. Or yeah. hey, we need, a, you know, this or that. And they're they're picked up and they're off and running because they were seen at these events. It's a huge opportunity for people. And, and uh, you know, God bless the, the folks that put them on because it's a ton of work to put these events yeah, together and it's, yeah. it's a real community service that they're all doing, putting these events on. It, and I'm just curious about people in other towns and others, other music scenes to, if they feel inspired to do something like this with their community. Uh, because if you open up your phone, it, you would be amazed how many different musicians, you know, in your community, even if it was a one-off that it's like, you know what? I want to do a police tribute and have all my friends and some of these other musicians come out and like start building this thing. It's possible in any town yeah. and the benefits from that. So I just know you've been involved in those things and uh, I'm just kind of curious to know. Uh, I Personally, I, I, I've been to some of them. I've played a couple of them. It's, it's it's it can be overwhelming like the pressure honestly and i force myself to do those kinds of things so that then the gigs that i normally do feel so much easier oh yeah because i am just i'm over i'm constantly overwhelmed and impressed by the talent in this town and then being like what's the kit gonna be like what's the mix gonna be like it's literally five minutes in between bands you don't go up there and just you know dial shit in you run up there with your sticks and you fucking play well and it's it's that's a great point it's great practice for uh your nerves like it's great it's great because you many times you as you've done them you get up on there and and you say Hi, my name's Matt. You shake a hand with your bass player, and then you say one, two, three, yeah. four. You don't you don't even know the guy or a girl. You just you just met just then, and now you're playing the song together. So like the, the, working those butterflies out over and over again, like you're saying about your normal gig, it makes it just way well, easier. Exactly, and, and, and I think putting yourself in those situations is always 
it's hard for I think other people to understand. But I think it's it's a good routine to get into to find yourself in uncomfortable uncomfortable situations. Uh, I had a recent guest talk about setting up your drum set in an awkward way, so that you're used to playing it. If you're doing an Opry thing and you got to run on and play, you know Eddie's backwards kit, or something, or sit in, or you know you're part of the opening act and you're going to use uh, the um, headliner's kit, and you're not allowed to move anything. But you got to sound amazing. You know, all these kinds of scenarios, or you have an audition for a gig you really want, and you're dealing with the nerves. You just know how to manage that stuff. So it's, I think it's all part of the mix that really helps you deal with it. And, and it's funny, as, as long as, you know, some of us have been playing, it still can get the most of you, you know, can still get inside your head. Definitely. It, it's, it's the same thing as practicing... I don't know what sport you would have to practice recovery in, but like <laughs> practicing recovery is so important. You know, make like when you're practicing your drums at your house, purposefully throw a stick and have to find another one. Like work on the screw ups that are going to happen. Make, you know, take take your hi-hats like off the thing and practice having to retighten your hi-hat clutch in the middle of a song because now you can't open it up and down yeah. because the thing inevitably came loose like those things are gonna happen like you're saying here with, with your nerves at these gigs like you're gonna have nerves at a gig you don't you, you may not necessarily know a song as well as you should but like you may be the only drummer in the room that doesn't have a broken arm that's a little extreme of course a little hyperbole but like that's how people can get gigs. You know, if, if the person can't do the gig or is sick or something happens and then you walk up and you say, you know what, I'm tough enough to do this gig. Let's do it. And even, you know, the confidence and the ability to sort of recover on the fly and, and not, you know, get not puke because you're just so nervous. That's an, it's, it's something that I struggle with all the time. You know, um, I don't know if you're like me, I'm, I'm fairly, uh, ever since COVID I've kind of developed like a, I'm pretty socially uncomfortable. I, I kind of freak out in big crowds for some reason now. And, and uh, I've definitely kind of become more introverted in the last couple of years than maybe I used to be. So these rare hairs and these other events are excellent practice to yeah, get those talking to people chops back and, 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 and not freak out and try to hide in the corner just because you, Oh God, God, I'm, I'm nervous about playing this song and I don't want to do so bad. You know, you, you end up, talking yourself into a corner and then you you feel like you can't play drums at all all of a sudden you know you been, played for 100 years we've been there you know it's it's important to work through well this is a good segue into something that happened recently uh you were teching with uh for chris williams and he was playing with the band except and yes. had food poisoning he and phil shouse the guitar player you may know phil uh and uh jeff our guitar tech and, and stage manager all three of them Oh, no. were very ill with food poisoning for three days. Oh, that's yeah, awful. It was terrible watching that's, them go through that. Yeah. So you stepped in the situation. Can you tell us about that? It was it was certainly interesting. Uh, a great crew to work for. That's a wonderful band to work for. And, and you know, Christopher, my, my gosh, that absolute monster drummer. If, if anybody listening hasn't checked out Christopher Williams, playing drums on we're gonna get him on the show a we huge him yet. he's he's the he's one of the best interviews you'll, you'll you'll have i guarantee it he's so knowledgeable and he's so experienced and he's such a sweet guy uh chris i accept paypal and venmo for compliments <laughs> um so he um 
it was it was kind of the last minute, like a lot of those things can be. Um, it was sort of in the airport the day before. Uh, Phil was was getting kind of kind of green, you know, his skin was turning green, and, and Jeff uh, both were they were like, "Oh my God, what's happening, guys?" You know, they didn't eat the same thing. It wasn't like you could trace it back to this or that. Um, but they both had to get off the plane as we were uh, leaving. Uh, I think it was Lima in Peru, I think is where we were. Oh, my gosh. And so we got off, they get off the plane. They had to be taken to the emergency room, both of them. Like we were on the tarmac for maybe two hours or something waiting on uh, EMTs to get there and, and had to get them off. So it was like, oh, my gosh. And like I felt uh phil poor guy i'm gonna throw him not throw him under the bus but he i felt so bad he was so sick he was at the front of the plane and the dudes from testament were right in the front in the very front row in uh first class and they were like are you okay buddy you know and so like you're sitting there trying to be tough for the guys in testament and like and meanwhile you don't feel good at all i'm like oh god you know don't take my metal badge um i, I promise it's okay <laughs> so so they get off the plane and so the next day we were uh they were except was playing at metal fest in chile and you know we we get there and me and ryan the tour manager uh, were running around a little bit like crazy trying to get everything together because we were one man down jeff on our crew was was just he wasn't in the country he was so sick he he caught a later flight after he got through an iv and, and the whole thing so we were trying to put the gear together my phone goes off and I, it's christopher and he says well, it's it's starting to happen to me, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Oh, you know, geez. so you, you know, first thing you feel awful for your friend. You're like, "Okay, it's one of my another one of my buddies who's who's going down," and then you start to think, "Well, that's three three of, of us on the on the crew." You know who's next? You know, is it coming? Did you start feeling it? Like uh, you start you start thinking like yeah, is, is, is it is it? You look at Ryan like Ryan, are you okay? Are you feeling all right? Are are you guys okay? Yeah. So uh, so it you know gets closer to showtime, closer to showtime. Um, and I had mentioned to him, I was like, well, buddy, you know, because uh, Christopher is a monster. And, and if, if he's in at least knowing him as long as I have, if I've never imagined him to ever miss a gig and I don't think he ever has. So if he is in a situation where he's not feeling good and even thinking about not playing a gig, you know, it's bad because mm -hmm. this is a dude who is always on his game. So it was like, OK, I'm not sure I'm going to get to the venue. We'll see how it's going. OK, OK. Um, so I, you know, I started trying to you know listening to you know kind of the songs they've been playing on my phone backstage as i'm putting drums together and everything else um and then you know ends up where it's almost showtime christopher shows up at the venue and you know he's like the other guys his skin's green and it's like well but bud what do you think you you, you want to try it you know you want me to go up there and lower your symbols you know maybe it'll be a little easier for you to reach him in the whole thing he's like it's not happening uh god you're up and it's like all right so um it's kind of like you, you kind of go into autopilot, I guess, and you just say, all right, you know, there's a job to do. And all these people here paid a ticket price. And the guy whose job it is, he is down and out. And I'm I'm in charge of trying to help him. And so the next step of trying to help him is trying to fill in for the gig. So uh, we we did the gig and I, we, I think we cut two songs out that are. They got one song called Fast as a Shark that even if you know it, it's an impossible song to play. So I didn't I didn't want to try that one. Just think, the title alone tells me everything no, I need you to know. No, thank you. It's four and a half Fast minutes. As a shark. And I was like, oh, can we, you know. So the the singer Mark was like, let's get that one. I was like, thank you. <laughs> let's definitely skip that one. Um, so I think we played maybe eight out of the ten songs on the set. And, uh, I, you know, of course I didn't get, I didn't nail everything, but, um, you know, the, the stage didn't fall down and, and the crowd didn't start throwing tomatoes and lettuce. So I, I guess the gig went off OK. And then, thank goodness, uh, we made some news around town like, dude, Danny's sat in and, and, and 
and killed it and sounded great and and all this stuff so i mean it that's that's pretty amazing well it's it was you know like i said it's just it's like the the show's not going to play itself the dr- <laughs> the drums are just sitting there so you know somebody had to do it and i i was very thankful to to be in that place to to do it because i mean who doesn't want to you know who doesn't want to hear hit a kick drum in an arena and hear everybody say hey back at you you know right. that's that's like oh yeah sure I'll, this isn't a nightmare i mean it kind of is for nerves and stress definitely but it is what you want to do when you're 13 in your bedroom you know when you're hitting the the fake bass drum that's right there and you're saying hey 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 you know that's what we're all trying to do at least at least a lot of us so uh so thank goodness all the guys were fine christopher was back and, and killing it on the very next night uh and then the other two guys uh jeff and philip both were okay the next night and uh except finished that tour with aces so that they so it was just the one gig that's crazy thank goodness how, how much and teching are you doing these days not not much um mm-hmm. I, i've done i've been very lucky to do a few runs with the except guys and they're a wonderful band to work for and christopher's a, a excellent drummer to work for and and watch play every night um, I've done a lot of studio teching. I, I do a, a lot more studio tuning and, and teching than I do live uh, going around. And, and as I've gotten a little bit older, I'm, it's like it's so cliche to say trying to focus more on playing than, than yeah, tech, teching. But um, if it's a great situation with a bunch of really good people, awesome. If, if it's something, you know, that now that I'm not 25 anymore, if it's, if it's just something I I'm not, don't want to do, then... Oh yeah, I'll definitely try to help you find the right person for it. Right, you, you never want to leave somebody hanging, and yep. especially when they thought enough to ask you to do something. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to just throw it back in their face. Hopefully, so I'm here right now talking to you because you were sweet enough to ask me to come hang out tonight. Well, thank I, you for that. I, I'm 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 remembering now. I'm trying to remember what drum it was. You tuned a snare drum for me. I think I had a brand new head on it. It was one of my snares and i i was like this thing sounds um, and like i'd never heard it sound that good it was really great i wish i could remember which <laughs> one it was but it was you know it was like a my five and a half ludwig superphonic or you know just like this thing can sound so much better than i have the skill to but it, it reminded me of how important having those tuning skills are well talk it, about it's amazing talk about tuning skills that were you because you you said you worked at forks 2000 2001 yeah okay so you're you're obviously working with paul and gary and yeah and all those guys yeah. so was it still because i started in, at forks in 2005 and it, it was definitely still going on so i would imagine it was this was still going on you're talking about tuning uh, and for our listeners, I bet a lot of people don't realize that in the, in the 90s, most snare drums in town were tuned by Paul Snyder at that store on yeah, all of the, all yeah, of those yeah. hit records. Because, I mean, there would be there would be drummers that would come in and very super superstitiously would hand their snare to Paul <laughs> and say, Paul, I, I need you. I got a session at 10. I This thing has got to be ready to go. And Paul would tune it in five minutes and then they were like paul touched it it's ready to go so when you were long story to say i don't know if when you were working there if it was still like that if drummers in town i don't were, remember that but it, that makes sense to me and is he still at sir definitely yeah he's, yeah, yeah, he's running sure. their whole drum operation over there of course yeah, of course that's great yeah and it's you know you go in that that room and it is cleaner than you could ever think and he's got everything labeled and organized like yep. he is and uh holy cow what a what a hero to this town Paul is, and he'll roll his eyes if he hears that. But uh, he, I don't know about that. Oh, I'm just trying to do the job, you know. And you're like, well, Paul, you really do a good job, you know. And <laughs> I'm sure he knows deep down. But yeah, he was 
critical part of the Nashville drum sound, especially in the all those hit records in the '90s, because it was like you got to have Paul tune your snare at forks. You got to have him tune it, dude. I mean, uh, some of these players that, I, that I'm such a fan of, I wouldn't trust them with my snare drum. <laughs> you <laughs> well, know these players. You're just yeah. like, I don't think you know. You've been doing this for so long, and your your drums are set up for you. Your drums are tuned for you. I don't know if you remember how to tune drums anymore, but probably well, I don't know what what a good place to be in. What if maybe there's a maybe there's a magic to that? Like maybe like maybe there's a genuine artistry that comes through when you're not just sitting there thinking about every little part of a snare drum. You're like, well, is that tension rod that I just bought? Is that going to hold up? Like, yeah, you know, maybe there's a freedom to not knowing how to tune drums. Yeah, you know, for sure, for like, sure. I'm just going to sit down, and just, play them, just play, not just worry play. about the gear. Well, what's your history with Forks? When did you start? I don't, I don't know this. So I started in, I guess I took Alan Rice's job, sort of. Uh, he he left Forks in two. He's back now. Uh, he left Forks in. It's fuzzy. Um, maybe April or May of two thousand five, and then I started in June, the end of June or middle of June in two thousand and five. Mm-hmm. So uh, there was there was a few different folks that sort of came in right after Alan uh, left. And Alan came back in 2012, I think it was. So, so yeah, I've been I've been at Forks since 2005. Okay. It's only a few, only a couple of years after. Yeah, you were gone. That's crazy, man. That's that's amazing. What what is your responsibility there now? Uh, well, I guess. Um, so just so people know, Gary sold the shop. That's right. So Gary and Melissa, of course, uh, Gary and Melissa Forkham started Forks in 1982. Um, and it really, you can go back to we yeah. have an interview with Gary early on in this episode. You guys did, early on in this. You, you guys did podcast did, did an interview with Gary. We did an interview with Gary. Oh, and, I gotta and, listen to that one. Um, so they started with. I'm sure he said the whole the whole thing. He started with like eight thousand dollars worth of inventory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he he built it into what it is today. And uh, Melissa and him uh, they left in 2018. Um, they retired, went to the house, and they sold forks, the brand, and inventory to. Uh, Steve and Debbie Maxwell, who own Maxwell's Vintage Drums in Chicago, um, and they've been wonderful to work for and, and very hands-off, to be honest with you, the last five years. Seems like it. Um, you know, they kind of, they sort of figured out what Gary's business model was and um, knew that most of us had been working for Gary for at least a couple years at the time. Uh, we took all, the, you know, we're very thankful to have a great crew that works there, and all, all of those people came along with us when we moved. So it, it was a little bit of a, is that a latch key? Is that what you call that? A little latch key, turnkey business? Um, minus the move. The move was pretty stressful. Moving all that gear in three days out of the old place oh into the God. new place. Yeah. That was, we, we all definitely emerged older after that. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, my back, you know. My back's 50 now uh, is what it felt like. Um, so yeah, we moved in 2018. And I guess, I guess technically I, I sort of took over manager, if you want to call it that. Um, and so that's what I am now. I'm, I guess I'm the manager of Forks, kind of, uh, trying to do as good of a job as Paul used to do. I definitely am not. I can tell you that for sure because I got to work with him for 10 years and I know how good he did. Um, but just trying to do the thing, trying to make a fun, inclusive uh, atmosphere where drum nerds of, of all walks of life can come and feel comfortable in there and see everything they've ever wanted to see their whole life growing up. Um, I think the thought process at the store, if you haven't been there, is uh, you want to see like an old issue of Modern Drummer in person. You know, mm-hmm. you used to flip through mm-hmm. 
yeah. all the different pages and you see, oh, this kid or this kid or this interview or this picture of th- this person playing drums or this Modern Drummer Festival where you see all the different colors of drum sets, all the different configurations. That was kind of, I think that's what Gary was trying to do with the place. Um, and that's definitely what we're still trying to do. You, you, want to, you want it to feel like a Modern Drummer issue come to life Yeah, is kind of the idea. Um, it's got to be a place you stop if you're ever passing through Nashville. You have to go to Forks. I mean, it's 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 a pilgrimage as far as just all types of gear and the way it's laid out in the new space with the lighting and everything like that. It's just, I don't know if it's any more square footage as far as floor space, but it's just so much more open and just, it's a it's a much brighter taller building um but yeah. it actually is smaller it, the the old place was 5600 square feet and this one is 3600 oh my god so we did lose 2000 square feet which um if you know you remember the old place we had that big back showroom with the big shelves full of drum kits that whole room is Basically, when I worked gone. there, it wasn't being used in that way. That was just warehouse, I think, when you were working yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, when I started there, it was the same thing. And, and Gary turned it into that big, amazing showroom the last couple of years that he had it. And uh, we're we're lucky to be here. I don't know if our business model of stocking 100 drum sets at once would work in every town. Uh, but I think Nashville has been very spoiled and still is, in my opinion, with, with drum stores. You know, growing up, we had DOG percussion. Yep. Uh, and then we had uh, Hughley's Music had a great drum department in the oh, back wow. uh, downtown. And then now, of course, we're we're here. But you're also got uh, Bryson's Place, Nelson Drum Shop over there, which is fantastic. And then Andy Foote's Place, Drum Supply House, yeah. is over there in East Nashville too. So um, it's been, you know, in the old days when we were kids, Saturday was all about drum stores. You go to Forks, you go to you know whoever, you go to uh, Dogs, you go to Winklers, you go to wherever it was, and you know, it's it's such a cool thing to not only have one but multiple drum stores in one town i mean I'm, a lot of towns don't even have one anymore yeah it's interesting and and let me ask you like how does that work as far as the dynamic of having different drum stores i feel like these three places you've mentioned including forks they all kind of have something a unique thumbprint in the way they the inventory they carry the 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 the, the, the part of the city they're in kind of do you guys find like this is this is our brand this is our vibe we're gonna lean into this or it seems that way i mean it i i mean i can't obviously speak for the other two guys um but i i think there's i definitely think there's enough town room in this town for both all three of us um mm-hmm. and there's probably room for another one if, if somebody out there wants, wants to <laughs> wants to be crazy and open a drum store it's it's a wild life believe me uh I, I, you know, growing up, like like I was saying, we had, you know, Saturday was drum store day. You went to all the different shops in town and, you know, obviously small businesses would appreciate you patronizing, patron, patroning their services, right? They they want you to buy something. But a lot of times when you're a kid, you don't have any money. You're just going to, to hunt everything and look at everything and hear everything. So mm-hmm. um, I think there's plenty of room for that to still go on. I mean, there's. I know there's people that will come to our store on a day, on a Friday or Saturday. And, yeah, we just left Andy's place, or yeah, we just left Bryson's, or now we're on the way to Andy's. You know, so so it's good to see uh, young and old people s- nice. still kind of doing yeah, that drum cool, store tour sure. thing. And uh-huh. I think that we've all, ca- I mean, you, you always are trying to improve, but I, I, it seems like we've all kind of landed on our on our own feel and that and and hopefully we've all got. I, th- I do think we've all got our own thing going on, and we all, I know for a fact, we all send each other. Uh, clients all the time when one of us is missing something that the other one 
uh, you know, does that has or doesn't have, yeah. you know, I know we're calling back and forth. I get calls for both of those guys all the time. And, and we try try our best to, to send people over there too. Um, I, that's, that's, I love to hear that. And I know that competition is good for business. It kind of keeps you on your toes and it, but it's also nice to know that what is inherent in the drumming community of being supportive and social in that way also happens in the retail world. You know, and I'm sure it's not that way, a hundred percent, or in other towns and or other situations. And um, but it's still competition. It's still business. Still, what it is. Well, I mean, earlier you said you were talking about uh, how communal you know drums are, and and I think most drummers um, see ourselves a little differently than than uh, guitar players or, or other people that play other instruments, in that we are we're always sharing, you know, uh, I'm, you and I are, are relatively the same age and, you know, we grew up reading modern drummer and, and hearing, hearing about like the brotherhood of drums. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. there were, there were all those old, old, uh, VHS tapes where, where drummers were showing each other licks backstage at like the modern drummer festival They're on their knees or like just playing on the table. And, and I, uh, God, I'm trying to think of who's, who said it, it was like, well, if yeah, if you see a guitar player, you know, ask another guitar player about a lick they'll they'll turn their back and be like that's my lick you know you don't don't <laughs> but like a drummer it, it may, there may be a little bit of hyperbole here but like it, it, a drummer is like oh yeah you know this is the sticking and and this is how i played it and, and you, if you played off the left it sounds like this and, and, and the drummer watching that will be like oh i never thought about it that way and um i, I think i think in i think in drum retail it, it it's similar to where i mean obviously we all got bills to pay so it's not like you know you don't want to necessarily lose a sale right because you still got a you still got rent and electricity to pay but um i i think that we're all still in that sort of drummer community vibe even with a with our own stores um versus where maybe someone who works at one of the big box stores will try to ag- actively take a sale from another big box store yeah possibly I, it sounds like to me these the three stores that you're talking about including forks is it, it kind of personifies the drumming community writ large is that there is competition there is op- but there's also opportunity and there's room uh we have a listener who is going to be moving from San Francisco to Nashville i'm almost sure 100% and we met last week when he was in town and um shout out to Damon Hope and uh i said yeah, come on, come on. Like, there's competition and there's some great players in town, uh, but there's opportunity. Uh, there's room. Come on. Like, um, uh, any w- what can I do to help? Um, I've got some. What are you interested in? I know some people that do that. I'm gonna let's let's connect you with them. So yeah, it's 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 interesting. Just to kind of see how how that that all comes together in what's that tide rises all boats scenario. yeah well you know um i don't know if you checked out we forks had a brief time where we had a podcast i think we did maybe yeah, t- yeah, yeah, 10 yeah. or 11 episodes yeah and i think the last one we did was early this year and it was like the 40th anniversary of forks right. thing and i'm yeah. at round table and it was gary and you know a bunch of the i mean god legend drummers sitting around it like just being in the room listening and all that was crazy so the whole point of that 
thing was not only to celebrate Fork's 40th anniversary and then just hear all the stories that Gary and, and obviously Paul that was there, there that night had to tell. But it was also an interesting it was an interesting reminder of, of the drum community and, and watching all these old friends just remind each other of, of sort of their careers and how they got it all started. And, and it, it made me think of because I think Jerry Croon in that interview told the story. The same story he told in the 1996 Modern Drummer Nashville Studio Drummers Roundtable. I have that episode, I have that, that issue. That issue. So in that issue, he was talking about, um, and I think he told the same story at the thing. Um, Larry London like picked him up at the airport and gave him drums to play because he had no drums to play when he moved to town and like let him was like stay in his back room and i know debbie that that owned dog did that a lot for drummers she, mm-hmm. she would like make big pots of dinner chris for, McHugh has a similar story of that like coming to these stores and like eating dinner in the back of the store you know because they're like broke drummers and they don't have anything right so so you know I, and i think jerry still has those drums that larry just gave him so he could do he could just get on his feet doing sessions because he didn't have any drums here in town. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. holy cow, that that's huge. And like what you're talking about, what, who'd you say, Damon? Is that who you said was about to move? Damon Hope. Damon yeah. Hope. So like just like you're doing, doing with Damon, you know, trying to figure out what he's into and, and help him find his place here in town and welcome him as opposed to, wow, we don't, the door's closed. We don't have any room here for you. You know, yeah. it's a beautiful thing. And, and it's amazing to see that drum, that community drum thing still lives well here's the thing uh i mean i'm not larry london in the in the least but if if i can help somebody like damon continue his journey then we're all the better for it and it's 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 like so it's 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 wonderful and that being said uh Forks has been very supportive of this podcast from the beginning. Uh, my relationship with Gary early on uh, supported the podcast. There's some early episodes in 2015 where you can see the logo, you know, for this episode sponsored by Forks Drum Closet. You know, there were like maybe a half a dozen of those and, you know, gave me some money to do a, an ad that we composed. And Gary was like, he, I don't even think he... He listened to it or, you know, it's like, you know, hey, I've written this script. He's like, yeah, it's fine, whatever. Hey, Melissa, just write him a check for whatever he wants. You he, know? he trusted like, you. Right, are you trusted kidding you. me? Yeah. You know, it was very cool. He knew. And, he knew um, you were going to do fine with it. It was, and, you know, it's interesting because here's the kind of person that Gary was, and I think we talked about it when he came over f- to be a guest. I moved down here. I worked retail in Columbus. And my degree is actually in music merchandising, music business merchandising. I was the president of the National Association of Music Merchants when I was in college and all this stuff. Oh, but darn. Um, and so it was a good fit for me to come down. But I came down here to play and to see what I can do in the industry and as a player. And when I started to work more, it was conflicting with what Gary needed from me at the store. And he gave me an ultimatum and he was like, either you work here or you work when I need you or I can't use you. And we kind of butted heads very, very, you know, somewhat slightly. And, and I was just like, I can't, I can't do it. And, and he's like, okay, well, I'm gonna have to let you go. It was just kind of that kind of quit firing kind of situation. 
And um, it wasn't that long before we were just back on good terms again. You know, it's like, how's it going? Good. Good to see you. And Melissa would hug me and it was like, wow, it's cool. I haven't like burned any bridges. I haven't made any enemies. It's great. Like he still supports me and cares about what I'm doing. And that always stayed with me. Yeah. And then when I started this and I, the podcast and came to him and, and he supported me and you have been the voice for us to get support for, I think some 100, 200, 300th episode Forks has been one of the sponsors for us. So we appreciate that very much. So you guys are still continuing to support this and uh, it's, it's been just another example of building this community. Yeah. You know, we need it. I mean, yeah, we don't, you know, uh, the kids these days, uh, (laughs) the kids don't, you know, younger drummers do not have access to resources. uh, I don't think like we did, you know, you don't have any of the printed catalogs to nerd out over at home. You don't have modern drummer in print. I I don't think, Um, I think you might be able to still get it on a, it's different. It's just different. It's just different. There's not yeah. nearly as much uh, tactile information available. Everything's on a computer or your phone, which is all fine. Um, but there, there's a certain special memory there to growing up and, and eating your cereal before school and you're sitting there reading a DW catalog and just fantasizing about, oh my God, yes. What color is my tour kit going to be when I graduate high school? You know, th- there's that certain thing that. I don't think exists anymore. So what you do here with this podcast and, and that whole network of of people doing that is, is widely important. um, I hope so. I I hope, I hope so, man. And, and because I think one thing that regardless of the technology and the way people purchase things by pressing a button and just getting it delivered is when it comes to trying out a cymbal, a new drum head, a snare drum, you have to hear it. You have to touch it. It has to be there. I'm sorry, but that's just the way it is. I mean, even when you get into the nitty gritty of people that want to hear the drum head and how it sounds right out of the box or roll sticks. I used to do that more often. I don't do it as much. You have to be there. You can't just order that shit online. And especially things that are so individual, like cymbals and snare drums or the feel of a pedal. Dude, you've got to go to a Forks. You've got to go there and hear it and try it out and bounce ideas off the knowledgeable staff and stuff like that. But the, what you what you just said is is incredibly important education for a younger drummer because younger drummers, in my opinion, like we said a second ago, don't have the access to this information all the time. And 100% there has been not often, I think maybe twice this has happened since we've been in the new building, but we've had a young drummer come in with a symbol they bought off Amazon mm-hmm. and nothing wrong with buying a symbol off Amazon. I'm not knocking those guys. Everybody needs a job, but <laughs> they'll come in and they'll hit that same symbol on our wall and they'll say, well, I didn't even realize that symbols didn't sound the same as each other. I thought they were all the same Yeah, because that young drummer didn't grow up around it like you did mm-hmm. and it doesn't just know in their own brain that symbols of course sound different you have to put your hands on one so you've got a generation of, of drummers 
I can't, you know, and we all, you know, I'm sure when you work there, you, you sort of developed a rhythm and, and almost a stick when you're talking to a customer. And so there are many times over the years where you use the analogy about buying a car. Well, you wouldn't buy a car, you know, unless you test drove it first, right? Not anymore. People buy cars on the Internet all the time yeah. from these car vending machines, and they haven't even seen them. Yeah. So you, you can't even use the buying a car and test driving an analogy anymore. Right. So you've got a young drummer who didn't even uh, doesn't know that cymbals sound different. So how can that drummer ex- be expected to go on the hunt for the perfect cymbal? Because they just think, oh, I need an 18 inch XYZ crash cymbal. I'm just going to buy it right here. And it, it should sound like all the other ones. Mm-hmm. But and then they're surprised when it doesn't. And it, it's obvious for us because we've been around cymbals for a thousand years. We've heard a billion of them. But it's an interesting thing that they're not getting that experience and maybe in a town wherever they're growing up they don't have a bunch of drummers to like we do here to have access to and to pick greg morrow's brain about it everything you know maybe they don't have a drummer in their school or, or you know they don't have a drum mentor so they they're not getting that full experience because they just they don't have access to that information so keep saying what you just said okay. <laughs> keep that information coming because young drummers need it I want to talk about your playing, different bands, different projects that you've been involved in. Um, the track that people are hearing on this, is it from the band Incursion? Oh, I don't know. Did um, did the track I emailed you come through? Yeah. So that if it's the same one, that's from a band called Denman. Denman, Denman, the band Denman. Okay, right. I saw that. Uh, it Wait. So, were you an incur- uh, is incursion? One of the one of the bands. I played drums on Incursion's most recent record. Uh, a guy named George that lives here in town uh, has had this band in his life for a lot of years, and he's wanting to kind of him and his buddy uh, Mike are starting to do that again. And uh, it, it's a lot of fun to play. They had a really um, on that record. They had a a really sort of set in stone vision of all the parts from top to bottom. Wow. And uh, they already had a demo from 1987 that their previous drummer had played on. And they're like, okay, this is this is really the roadmap we want you to kind of stick to. Wow. But they didn't record it to a click all those years ago. Yeah. So we're like, now we, you know, we've really got, we wanted to do this again. We've got the fire again. Uh, these are the kind of the parts we want you to play. And we just wanted to be to a click this time. Yeah, it's like yeah, no, cool, no problem. So, uh, so I, I was very fortunate to get to know those guys and, and play on that uh, record with those guys. So yeah, check out Incursion. But no, I'm not I'm not in that band. Okay, I just played well, on. Well, that tell album. me about some of these other projects you've been in. Um, Murder City, Murder City, God rest. Um, so Murder City was uh, a, a wonderful band uh, with, with some of my friends Zach and Jeremy and a guy named Ryan on bass. Um, we it was it was probably the most loosely creative band and there was no rules at all. We we w- there was no rules in that band. Well, so much so that the band broke up. But um, that's a whole other story. So with that band, should have we, been one of the rules. Don't no no breaking up. We if one of the rules should have been something I can't talk about on the on the radio. Um, so we um, you're showing your age. You keep when is this air? When is this, is this live? Hello, can I say shit? Um, take the, cut that. Uh, so caller number one. Caller number one. <laughs> We're giving away tickets to Murder City's reunion show, so we Murder City was a, was a, a just a lot of fun. We wrote a bunch of ridiculous songs that were about um, uh, this this big fantastic world with all these silly characters that we made up. Uh, we had a song called Master Grinder uh, that was about a big ten t- 
10 foot tall half demon half cyborg that had chainsaws for arms and we were like well what's more metal than that right let's call it master grinder and uh, a lot of this was created in maybe let's say an altered headspace let's say it like that um, so so we had a comic book series that we self uh, self created that went along with the we, we were like we're not going to put an album we're just going to put out these comic books and we'll put the CD in the back of the comic book and like it's going to be this own thing we're totally ripping off this band called Coheed and Cambria because they've got their own comic book series we were like what's well, original it's not it wasn't it was their idea first um, so it was a lot of fun and that band fell apart like bands do um, what else did we have we had a song called Fall of Valhalgar and we had a song called uh, Anyway, it was this fantastical, ridiculous storyline that went along with his comic book series. And I think we got through page six of issue number two. And then the band broke up before we could finish the second issue. And uh, holy cow. But it was a lot of fun for about three years. Um, And then, let's see, that whole thing stemmed off two old bands that I used to play in called Brotherhood of Fury, which was another like doom metal band. And then there was a band that actually got banned from nashville in 2006 because uh, we were such idiots in uh it's called unclean was the name of that band and so there was a kind of interchanging lineup through all these different bands and murder city was sort of where it ended um and then the track i sent you um was probably one of my favorite things uh projects i ever got involved with that was with uh um a, a set of brothers ben denman and dakota denman i'm gonna drop some names here and uh robbie creed who played bass with that band and actually robbie played bass on this incursion record we did that record together a lot of fun um it was it was a blast denman was a uh very much a traditional sort of thrash metal band which is i guess that's my favorite stuff to play um not like tech death or blast beats or any of the really hard drumming i'm, I'm not a great drummer i'm a little more like a caveman so i, I sort of top out at <laughs> 200 bpm good lord max you know Dude, i mean the stuff you're doing i'm just i couldn't even touch you that. definitely could no, um no. i mean it's 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 insane i i ha- i own a double pedal that's broken into two pieces well yeah because you got two bass drums you put one behind yeah, each bass no, drum. No, I, it sounds like shoes in a dryer well uh, a lot of old, a lot of old metal did you know um <laughs> the, the younger drummers now that are unbelievable if, if you guys haven't checked out a band called in with a dude who who worked at forks uh, for a lot of years, his name was Spencer Moore. Holy moly! Uh, oh, yeah. If you want to see somebody that really can play that stuff, Spencer and his band in Fear Fury are the are the guys to okay. check out. Um, he could play 250, 275, sixteenth uh, notes, and he's got that whole ankle swivel thing that you see like yeah. drummers do Dude, now. I love watching that stuff. It's wild. I, I feel like it's like okay, this is this is a, a drumming and a genre that. I'm so disconnected from that I can really enjoy it without thinking, I need to practice, I need to practice. It's like, nope, that's not my thing as a player. And the the, the kind of just the metal genre and it, it just overall is something that I, I just, I enjoy it from time to time, but I don't know enough about it. Like I don't, and so I'm just kind of curious, it's like, where are there places to play? What does a band do when they're starting out? Like, where do you go to play? How do you get gigs? Like, what's what's the what's you're the, talking about in this sort of metal yeah, sort of yeah. stuff? Well, um, that's it's a great question, I, and I, every band I, I'm in falls apart. So maybe I maybe I don't know how to answer it. Clearly, <laughs> I haven't figured that out yet. But there's a there's absolutely an underground metal scene that is wild. Um, some of the the 
craziest metal shows, underground metal shows I've seen, is that that place over on uh, Ellison Place, uh, The End, yeah, right yeah, across yeah, from sure. the exit end. Yeah. There have been times where I, you'll walk in there to see your buddy's black metal band play. And there's 250 people crammed in there. Yeah. And you're like, okay, this number one is a fire hazard. But then number two, <laughs> where are all of you during the day? Like, it's not like... I don't think sunlight is their friend. I, well, most, uh, may, that could be for sure. I mean, there, there's definitely sort of the, the you know, uh, the, the darkness that comes out at metal shows. But um, it, it's definitely out there and it is passionate and they are buying records. And, you know, like this band, I'm, I'm sitting here hyping uh, Spencer's band in Fury. I mean, they've got something like thirty or thirty-five thousand monthly listeners on Spotify, and they're completely independent. They do it all themselves. They're going to Europe in a month, and they've got eight weeks in Europe playing with with all these incredible bands at all these different festivals, and they do it all themselves. So yeah. it's definitely out there. It's just I think it takes patience. I think it takes work. Of course, um, it a hundred percent is is networking, like anything. I mean, you gotta just like being in any band, you have to be friends with who you're in the band with. It's it's maybe it's less about playing well and more about the fact that you can tolerate somebody for 23 hours on a tour bus oh yeah as opposed to just one hour on a stage right so there's a lot to be said for just networking and being cool with these other metal bands at these shows and knowing that they can count on you to be there and professional and not get so drunk that you're going to disappear and not be there and Mm -hmm. be a good opener so I, i think his band and a lot of bands that are successful another another successful band a little less uh tech deathy in terms of speed and metal but equally working as hard uh, as a band in town called howling giant those zach wheeler who plays drums in that band okay used to work at forks and he worked there for a number of years they hustle and they play all the time and they you know they'll play in front of several thousand people they'll they'll play in front of zero people and 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 to them and i think spencer's band too it's always about the show and taking time with the people before and afterwards and really putting in the time with social media uh, networking and making sure you're accessible to the fans. Everybody loves accessibility. You know, um, when you really take the time to be personal, even as your band starts to grow, people remember that. And and once you get, uh, everybody has to have, you know, you get so big, right? Like I'm sure Mick Jagger's not answering Instagram direct messages i'm sure he's not right Mm -hmm. he's probably not on instagram but uh bad example but there's a certain level of celebrity where he gets too busy to do those kinds of things but if you can maintain that that grassroots thing fans will pay attention to it and it always uh, it it seems like like metal's never been super mainstream i mean that is kind of the appeal to it is that it's always going to be on the fringe and so when you say a celebrity like who in the metal world is a celebrity to someone that it doesn't know the genre it doesn't know understand the music like yeah there's going to be hardcore fans that they see them as celebrities but i have a feeling that no matter how successful a band gets it's they're always going to be uh, a certain amount of connection with the audience and the fan base that is necessary that a pop star or a in any genre, a, a, a pop, you know, is it's it's just they don't need to. They don't need to be f- connected to their fan base or you know whatever because they're just they're super pop. No matter what they do, no matter what they say, no matter how little or much they communicate with the outside world, the fans are still going to show up. You know, 
Taylor Swift could probably say something super controversial tomorrow and still sell out all her shows. <laughs> but I, I've always been drawn to, you know, whether it, to just to the musicians and the music that is on the fringe, whether it's like bebop or prog rock or other stuff like that, where there's like a community between the musicians and the people that are fans of it as well. They're like all on the level. Yeah. And if I feel like as little as I know about kind of the metal scene, is it safe to say that that is kind of the same thing? There's just a connection with your fans. Like I like this music too. Like I just happen to be the musician on stage, but let's, let's all, let's all celebrate this together. I think so. And there's, and I think there's definitely, uh, maybe it's, maybe it's almost passed down generationally. Like, you know, uh, like the old Bay Area Thrashers 40 years ago. It was like a it was like a community of, you know, a lot of metal kids will call themselves weirdos, and they'll be like, you know, we're a big room full of weirdos, and we're all in here together, mm-hmm. you know, celebrating being weird, and like we're not yeah. like all those people at the yeah. uh, pop concert or whatever it is. So yeah, I think that there was definitely like an against-the-grain, like, screw-you attitude, definitely back in the old days, you know, um, when, when metal bands were trying to take down hair metal and, and things like that. <laughs> t- 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 you yeah. know, there... Uh, and maybe that sort of generationally and culturally in metal got sort of passed down where it's like us versus them kind of thing. And, and, you know, I've got, I mean, tattoos are certainly, uh, you see more tattoos now than ever before. So it's not like, Oh, I got a tattoo. So now I'm some weird outcast metal kid. That's, that's probably not a good, good I'm analogy. A weirdo. I have no tattoos. I, I also have no tattoos. Yeah. Good, good for you. Good. Uh, but like so, so maybe that's maybe that's part of it. Maybe there, there maybe there's a sub subculture where, you know, because in the old days when well, I mean I guess young people are printing cassette tapes again, which is interesting. I know the it is. bands it are is. getting tapes made. Yeah, it's it's, it's really actually cool. pretty cool. But like you know the old tape trading days that everybody used to do back thirty and forty years ago. Maybe there's there's that little. Uh, it's almost like you hear of a band that other people don't know about, and you kind of consider that as like a badge of honor like you've got some tape in your pocket that no one's ever heard before and it's yeah, like oh yeah, yeah i like this band and i know i can personally relate to that because uh the dudes at work a few years ago showed me this band called speed wolf and it was like i had never heard of them before and as soon as i found out how awesome they were i found out they broke up like 12 years ago and they only had one record so they've been way gone and i just found out about them but it was like, you know, like I, I had a little bit of that giddy feeling when I heard about this band that's been, now been gone for 12 years because like I knew other people didn't know about it. Yes. You know, I know nobody I know people don't know who Speedwolf is. So that makes me tough somehow. So maybe there's a little bit of that to the metal scene. It's like, you know, I went to the Inferi show at the end last night. And there was 300 people there and it was crazy. And you didn't go. Yeah. So screw you. You know, like yeah, so yeah, maybe there's sure. a little bit of that still hopefully in metal. I don't know if it's good or bad, but or if that even makes sense. But. Um, it seems very community driven. It seems very much like we're all in this together. You know, when you go see, I mean, you know, obviously the bigger, the bigger band is Metallica, right? So you can't, that's a huge metal band to the point where they're almost a pop metal band, not the style of music, but you know, there's 58,000 people at the show, Yeah. you know, and that's on the level of one of those big pop type shows, right? In terms of just audience attendance. And you said a minute ago, somebody that people might recognize from a metal band who's not a musician, it would probably be one of those guys. Yeah. I would imagine somebody would recognize either James Hetfield or Lars Ulrich who doesn't play because they're just pop icons. Yeah. They're music icons. They've been around forever. So, uh, 
you know that that sort of thing um well who are you who are you listening to that that's who i'm listening to <laughs> i've gotten worse I probably need to listen to to more new bands, and as I'm getting older, I'm getting uh, a little more sour about new music, I guess. But I listen to a lot of Willie Nelson, and I listen to a whole lot of Metallica. Uh, if you haven't checked out Speedwolf, I definitely recommend checking. Those okay, guys out. those guys are sick. <laughs> I bad. mean, when you were a kid, like, and and your dad, I'm assuming played country music. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, my dad was. Um, I can I can say this, and and I don't care who thinks it disagrees with me. My father was was the best harmonica player on the planet. Uh, he played uh, steel guitar, dobro, harmonica, acoustic guitar on a whole bunch of sessions throughout the 70s, 80s, and 90s. He played, uh, he toured with Tammy Wynette and George Jones for seven years. Um, Alan Jackson, he did uh, stuff with Alabama. Um, uh, Vern Gosnan, a bunch of mm-hmm. folks like that. Um, so growing up in, in our house, it was, um, it was kind of interesting because it was, it was like it was always there, but it was also to him it was work. It was like sessions done. I'm going to come home. I'm going to raise my kids. I'm going to get them to school. I'm going to make sure their homework is done. Make sure they're fed. And it was kind of like his job. So it wasn't. It wasn't like there was just music in the house all the time. I mean, there was there were instruments in the house all the time, but they were in cases and they were going to the studio and they were coming home every day, every day. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really put together when I was a kid what my dad was doing and how cool it was until I was older and sort of found music and drums and in and, and the whole whole so there's thing. hope for me that my kids might someday think that i'm cool i think i would wager to say <laughs> matt that your kids already think you're cool and you're doing a they great wear job my podcast them. t-shirts see around their friends yeah. see that's what i'm talking about <laughs> but they would never tell me to my face <laughs> yeah but that's okay because that shows what they really think is that they're when they're doing it behind your back and it's supportive that's awesome that that is cool uh, but like my, my dad was was interesting because uh, like you know, I think one, like one of the first things I wanted to buy was like a Nirvana CD, and it was like, oh, you know, here here we go, you know, the the rock and roll thing, and it's so funny because my dad was so good at playing rock and roll too, uh, but he he just he wasn't his favorite thing. I, I think it was oh, let's see how to how to say this. Um, <laughs> Because there's a good chance that somebody that's going to listen to this is going to remember working with my dad, and and yeah. my dad was my hero. But yeah, there was a lot of him in the in the tight financial times where he didn't look at him himself as successful, because you know music's hard, and, yeah. and it's hard to make a living, and it's hard to raise a family and pay bills even before twenty five hundred dollar a month Nashville rent. Uh, it it was hard. Um, so there was there were many years where I could tell my dad wasn't uh, exactly happy with with what he thought he was doing because he saw himself as maybe not as successful financially as as maybe he would have liked to have been, or maybe it was just harder for him with us to to raise us because of those things. So long story short is that it wasn't entirely encouraged to play music in our house because it was like this isn't a good way to make money. If you want to have a family someday, I don't recommend doing this because it's a hard struggle. Yeah. So I roundabout wasn't really a drummer. I didn't have drums that I knew about growing up and it wasn't really encouraged. It wasn't like frowned upon, but it wasn't encouraged. And so when I started in on it and it was like, okay, I'm going to play drums. I'm going to grow my hair out. You know, I'm going to be a rock and roll drummer. It was like, 
okay, this is what I was worried was going to happen. I I was hoping you were going to be, you know, maybe a doctor or like a mechanic or something that's going to be able to pay the bills. Um, And he was very supportive. He drove me to every rehearsal and every drumline practice. and, And not one time did he complain about it once we were like, it became a it became a thing with both of us. He started taking me to sessions, and that's how I met a lot of these guys. You know, Jerry Croon and all those dudes because mm-hmm. they were drummers on all these sessions at the time. And so many of them were, you know, uh, so supportive. And they they take the you know like you were talking earlier about the drum community and 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 we all try to tra- take each other under our wing. They they brought me right in, and it was like I was I couldn't now especially looking back I could not be more appreciative and. I can't uh, understand how cool it was that I got to sit in the drum booth with all these different, you know, John Hammond and Jerry Croon and Terry Feller and Shannon Forrest and all these guys that were just my dad's buddies growing up are like freaking the A-list of Well, that goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Like, what about, you know, how my kids in this town, like, do you you understand, like – what's happening in your community around you and the the fact that your father was doing all this stuff and like it probably gives you some insight to what Nashville is or to what a music city can be if you just take a moment to look around and uh, investigate what's happening and have these conversations with people that are as I can attest are very willing to talk about you know all kinds of experiences and and things and share information i mean that's that's why this podcast is has has legs because people are happy to share this information i think even beyond the drumming community it's overwhelmingly cool to be a part of and it's 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 something that it, when you're in the weeds like any job you can you can lose sight of it and lose track of it but oh yeah when you when you sit down you know there's there's it's almost 20 years i've been working at at forks 18 years this year and you know there's times where you're like you know i'm gonna sell everything i've got and i am gonna go move to freaking kansas and i am not dealing with this anymore (laughs) you know that those thoughts will will come and go but like there's there's moments where it's it is such a cool town to be a part of and it is such a cool instrument to play and there's such a cool uh weird connection in all of our dna that is it is kind of hard to put a finger on exactly why we keep doing this to ourselves you know maybe misery loves company i don't know that's silly to say but, but uh, yeah i mean that's the thing i'm paul simon says you know getting in the music business is hard getting out is even harder <laughs> yeah and, and, he's and right. i mean there's been seems like since 2020 there's there's i've had some ups and downs and i'm like what is what is my what drives me to just keep doing this like even when there's times in the universe is saying it's time to do something else it's time to move on it's time i'm like i no i can't and it's there's just something inherent i know everyone that so many people that are listening to this are like yes i feel that way and all reason is telling you to do something else to move on if it's you know voices in your head or voices from your family telling you to take another path it's, there's just something about it that just drives you and that that is just that is beautiful man is, well maybe it's, it's always there maybe maybe because there's definitely been times in my own life where 
you know, you're trying to make money playing. Okay. And, and, and the stress of trying, and I think, I think you can, I can kind of relate to my dad in this aspect when, when the stress of trying to pay the bill is directly linked into what you love so much. Yes. It can overshadow what you love and it turns what you love into what you hate and you don't actually hate it. You, you, you hate the pressure that's associated with it. So, um, uh, trying to separate the the love for playing the instrument versus the responsibility might be something that a, that somebody needs to think about. Um, I am never going to get to play drums for a living in Metallica. That's not going to happen. <laughs> they already have a very successful drummer in that band. Mm-hmm. So as I've gotten older... The drum store is almost a saving grace to give me something to be around what I love to do and pay my bills while doing it. And also at the same time, take the pressure off of, oh, my band broke up. So now I got to start all over and our EP is never going to come out and I'm never going to be on tour. Those are real valid feelings. And I know that all of us stare in the mirror and have those conversations with ourselves. And it, it, Maybe a drummer, maybe you, somebody out there listening can can think, well, maybe if I find something that I like to do that can take the pressure off of me playing drums mm-hmm. to where I can just focus on playing because I enjoy it and because it is my favorite thing to do. Because yep. I have so many friends, and maybe you do too, that have turned their back on music just because it was like they got and my my dad almost did it too many times when we were growing up because it was like i've got to pay the bills i've got to do something that can pay the bills and i i cannot be this stressed out anymore but like you know the love of playing the instrument is still there you know it is because you see it when it comes out yeah it's just the responsibility gets tied to it so I guess what I'm trying to say somehow is is don't feel like you have to play drums for money in order to be a successful drummer yeah you can play drums with all of your heart and very well and and successfully you can still make money and do it it just doesn't necessarily have to be the only thing that you do because there's nothing worse than than sitting behind this instrument and it not exciting you anymore yeah like i hate when when i see a drummer that's just left because they just don't want to do it anymore because it's not fun anymore it's like you know it's still fun yeah. it is still fun yeah what yeah. you've tied it to isn't fun. You have to you have to keep you have to just maintain that relationship with the instrument the same thing that you had when you were 14, 15, 16. That same thing because that's that that provides so much joy that everything else be damned. And I've always told myself my family comes first and if I need to go do something that's not performance related I'll do it. I don't. I don't give a shit. I mean, even in the last year or since COVID, and when I left this road gig last year, and I didn't have a bunch of gigs in town, I was doing some glass recycling part time to pay some bills. But that's totally cool. I didn't have to worry about getting my bills paid and doing other things because my family needed me, and my relationship with music and drums remained intact. Because that is a big fear of mine: is that that goes away and. It has been the thing that uh, has sustained me in mentally and physically in so many different ways. And I've seen people just 
music burn them because it's it's a it's an awful business. It's it's you know unreliable and unpredictable that they just give up. But if they think that they're going to escape pressure or the stress of paying bills, you're <laughs> you're mistaken because there's always that stress. There's always that. Uh, but yeah, it, it's it's been interesting and just having the history with your father and what he either directly or indirectly has taught you has what an amazing gift for you to have that so that you I mean I see that man I see that in the way you are and the way kind of the way you deal with the community um, the relationship that you have with the drumming community the music community uh, comes from a lot of joy and passion and it's like oh that's where it comes from I see that yeah, mm. it's really cool, man. There's there is nothing more important, and I think to a lot of us than than our drums and playing the drums and that feeling that those give back to you. And if if something is in the way of that, uh, I don't. I mean, I don't know if you're like me and you've wanted to walk away from them in a real way before. Uh, I, you know, I think a lot of us have, but maintaining that joy is is so important because it's it's never the instrument that. Is that it's weird to say it's an inanimate object, but it's never the instrument that's the problem. It's always whatever is tied to it. But it, it, it's yeah. always, I think, it's always a place of joy if you can sort out the rest of the stuff that's tied to it. And if that means you know getting another job, I mean, I'm sitting here, I have like the best day job you can have. So I, I, I'm a little bit of a nerf soft little boy here with a little day job and it's hard for me to sit here and say well you know you should go get a you should if you don't like what you're doing you should go get a day job you know there's you should go there's, manage forks drum club oh, wait, i do that please you know i'm <laughs> i'm screwing it up every day i'm sure they could i'm sure they could so. use using a replacement but it's 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 very important to love playing drums and it has saved my life as cliche as it sounds several times yep so if that means getting out of a situation just so you can enjoy it again, I, I would highly encourage you to do that because it's it's a it's wonderful. It's a, it's like the coolest thing in the world to play drums, mm-hmm. you know. And it's 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 if you are uh, uh, if you are socially awkward or have have like a, if you're a scared of, if you're a scared of people, uh, it's it's a wonderful instrument to play because they're in front of you. So like I know, <laughs> so the whole crowd is on the other side of your drums. You can kind of hide behind them. <laughs> You know, you can't you, like Nico McBrain. You can't see him behind his all those toms that he and has. And he doesn't seem like uh, someone that's scared of the general public. Does he look like he's having a bad time? No, no not at all. You know, there's man. no ever. You know, there's nobody in his monitor. Are you? Serious? He is back there in front of fifty thousand people, and he does. There's no. He doesn't even hear the band. It's, I got, it's just know, him and his drums, and then they follow him. Uh, I interviewed a drummer. He's a, a British comedian and podcaster, and he is part owner of the British drum company that Nico just signed to. Yeah. He switched from Sony. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. So I've always thought, I wonder if he could connect me with Nico. Man, um, I've heard he's awesome. I've heard he's very high energy and awesome. Yeah, yeah, That's what yeah. I've heard. Super, super. Tell me what's coming up. Like, what's, what's the rest of your year look like? What are there playing events happening uh things with forks happening that we can mention here let's see um so we got to plug some of these events because these people are putting in a lot of hard work so you gotta you gotta talk about them so uh 
Tyson, yep, Leslie, is doing. Uh, he's got a couple rare hairs coming up, so everybody needs to go check those out. I had um, a chance to play with him maybe two months ago. There was a possibility of a James Taylor tribute thing that oh. was going to happen that he was playing keyboards and is that still a possibility? To, I yeah, I've not heard from the person. In okay, a long okay, time, okay. So that's fine. Who knows? So the next the next rare hair. Um, so if anybody listening is trying to oh where do i how do i meet somebody to play music with so the denman track that i sent to you yeah i met those guys at a rare hair okay um so the music at the beginning of this interview that you that people are hearing this is from that that band it should be the if it's the track i emailed you that's that band yeah so uh so i met those two dudes well three guys because robbie was there too um at Rare Hair, they were up there playing, and it was like they were across the state, and they had long hair, and they were playing Seek and Destroy. And I was like, okay, these dudes sound just like Metallica, and I want to sound just like Metallica, so I need to play with these guys. So we, we chatted at a Rare Hair. So this is a, this is a Rare Hair commercial. So if you're interested in meeting <laughs> your dream band, whether or not it sticks together or not, that's beside the point, uh, Go to a rare hair. There's the next rare hair is uh, I think it's at the basement east on September 13th, which is just a couple weeks from now. Uh, it's I mean there's going to be 300 people in that room, yeah, and almost everybody plays something. Yeah. So if you get out and are are just itching to play and meet somebody, it's probably not a great commercial. Forgive me, Tyson. Uh, get to that one. Uh, that's coming up. I know he's got two more. I think there's one in maybe October. I don't know if there's an exact Are you date. playing at these? I'm, I'm just playing a few songs at this next one. I may be doing some of the other ones, but okay. those aren't planned out just yet. Uh, but I will be playing a few songs, thank goodness, at the uh, at the September 13th Rare Hair because it's a great time. That's why I said thanks, goodness. I'm very lucky to get to do those. Um, Forks side of things, we are having... Dave Weckl in clinic Yay. on September 29th. Yeah. Uh, that's a Friday night that Mr. Weckl will be there. Um, we are going to do that over at Soundcheck. We're not going to do it in the store because I would imagine he'll most likely bring a big crowd. I mean, that's a big name. Uh, so, and Dave is also doing, um, I don't know, I think he got to sign up through his website for this one. On the next day, which is Saturday the 30th, at our percussion hall, he's going to be doing like a private sign up reserve master class okay and i don't know how many spots he's got it's between 10 let and 20. us know um this i mean obviously people listen to these after the fact years down the road so this is yes. 2023 this is this is like next month guys so I know, I know. yeah don't I know. yeah <laughs> so if you're listening to this now um check it out um and keep us posted and we will reinforce this info on our socials it's gonna be crazy i don't think i'm trying to think if i ever saw because, man, Gary did some great clinics in the old days. I mean, he definitely did, you know. And I, I, a lot of us got to see, like, Dennis Chambers and Steve Gadd and all these drummers. But I can't remember. But we definitely didn't have Weckles in the 18 years that I've been working there. So this is a, a huge uh, nerve-wracking sensation. To, I mean, because you got, what, it's, it's like Buddy Rich and Dennis Chambers and Steve Gadd and Vinnie Caliuta and Dave Weckle. Like, he's one of those names. Mm-hmm. So being in the same room as, like, one of those names mm-hmm. is, I'm kind of getting goosebumps just now talking about it. And he's not even here yet. Uh, so that should be awesome. And I'm kind of interested to see him because he's such an audio f- nerd. Uh, like he's going to run his own sound. Oh, yeah. Which he always does. Yeah. We we, we had a we did a clinic with him up in Columbus. OK. Yeah. And, I've, uh, I've heard he's awesome. Yeah. And, and I, I've, to work I feel with. like he's 
not only as his playing evolved, but I feel like his teaching method and his and his communication as as it all as it happens with all of us has just elevated in such a way that he's such a great communicator and great educator yeah zach my co-host interviewed him a few years ago and it was amazing it was such a just to the point really great what a wealth of knowledge that, that yeah guy just uh, and 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 continuing to be uh, just an amazing force always and, like you said evolving always teaching himself always evolved. yeah just what yeah i'm really excited i hope i can make that it's been years since i've seen him i i I haven't seen him in person. And then um, I don't have a date for this, and this is one that's very close to my heart because I just love her playing so much. Uh, I'm thinking sometime in the end of October, possibly the first week of November, uh, Cindy Blackman yeah. will, will be doing a, cl- a, cl- a clinic. We at just the had store. her on uh, maybe a month ago. Is that right? Yeah. She, she she's is killer. Just, cannot wait to watch her play. a sweetheart and a great player. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Um, Tony Williams incarnate. She's been super positive and excited about the clinic. Uh, she's very busy, so um, we haven't nailed down an exact day yet. Okay. Um, but holy cow, she is gotcha. fantastic to talk to and uh, obviously yep. watch play drums. So that's going to be pretty cool. And I think that's going to be the end of our clinic season until we... I think uh, Dave Northrup is going to be our first clinician of next year. Okay. I think he's going to do a, a master class type thing in January or February. I was talking to Dave a couple weeks ago about that. Um, so that's kind of it on the Forks upcoming front. Um, definitely check out Rare Hair on the 13th. I'm trying to think if there's anything else really awesome. I mean, just go, just go support your local players, you know, go, go meet people, go see them, go, uh, check out local bands, you know, try to find cheap parking if you can. <laughs> uh, but I think, I think what, uh, what I would hope people take away from this is that no matter where you live, there are opportunities for growing your community and the benefits are just incalculable. It's so important to remember that that in-person thing uh, helps everybody. And your involvement in the Nashville music scene is a perfect example, whether it's through Forks or through these other jams or Rare Hair or, or, or the bands that you've been involved in. It's like this all just kind of is a great way to just in, inject this energy into your community. It just right now, our conversation just happens to be here locally in Nashville, but it, there's examples of this everywhere. And, um, if it's not in your town, it, it you could probably make it happen, and people would just be super excited to participate in whatever form. So it's it's so great, man. Yeah, um, you can you can. God, is, is it cliche to say if you build it, they'll come? But yeah, no, if, not if at you, all. If you if you're thinking positively about what you're doing, and um, I, th- I don't know if we were, I don't know if this was earlier on the thing. It may have been before we started, but. Uh, you said something you're talking about imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, that's something I struggle with daily. And it can really kind of get in your head when you open up Instagram or or Facebook or whatever it is. And it seems like every person you know played in front of a thousand people yeah. last night. Yeah. And you're sitting there drinking coffee and you're like, well, I... 
I just suck, and I, I guess nobody wants to work with me. You know, <laughs> it's it's a real it, it'll it'll come crashing down on you, and yeah. you end up in your own head. And and there's once again cliche to say you're your own worst enemy, and then you can't get yeah. anything going because you you you've compared yourself to all of your buddies who posted whatever it is, and it's like there's there is room for you, and yeah. you, you can post stuff too. And, you know, I mean, to be or fair, don't post shit or don't just, post anything. Yeah. Just play what you want to play with yeah. your friend in a, in a rehearsal room or in a basement and just and just play the drums because you like to play drums. And that's easier said than done for sure. Uh, but like the, the things, as long as they're uh, mechanically maintained, they'll never let you down and <laughs> they'll they'll always be there for you. Yeah. Um, you know, you'll, you, and I mean, if you need help maintaining them. Well, call, that's, call forks that's <laughs> maybe there's a, a little bit of a shameless plug there. We do sell everything you need. But um, regardless of all that, you know, it's, it, I, I try to personally flip it. And it's something I struggle with, <clears throat> excuse me, every day. Uh, uh, if you see your buddy playing, don't get down about it. Be like, OK, that's my buddy. Be grateful that's your yeah. buddy, that yeah. you know that person. Yeah. And then if your buddy's doing it, you can do it, too. So try, try if you can. It's, it's it's so hard to say. It's so it's so easy to say and so hard to do. Don't get down on yourself. Go go get them. I know. It, it, again, easier said than done. But I can tell you that is a good headspace to live in is to be supportive of your community when you see people playing some great stuff that maybe not yet be in your wheelhouse. Um, Try and feel inspired by that, you know, because that is a that is a better headspace to live in, because uh, the opposite is uh, debilitating. And it's easier to do the negative than the positive. Way easier. You're to, right. To, to You're right. Get down on yourself and say, "Well, You're right. all these people are working. I guess I'm never going to work." Yeah. You know, that's much easier to yeah. do. Yeah. So it's good. It's like daily this, work. The the podcast has been uh, instrumental in me overcoming a lot of that because I was able to invite people that were some of them were taking gigs away from me. Like I, you know. I didn't have a gig anymore because this person came in and that now they're the drummer for this artist or whatever. And it's like, wait a minute, how did that happen? And then feeling resentful of the situation or the person and then having them come over and share their story with me and then becoming closer to them and knowing them. And it's like, I feel better about this. And there's still a lot of room for me uh, in this scene uh, to do my thing and for people to want me on their project or their situation uh and there's it, it just it was great and so hopefully just even even if there's a listener that understands that um that that can that can be a, a, a source of strength you know just to just so we just stay connected to all that stuff so no matter there's what it touchy means touchy feely shit going on here danny well you know um we've, we everybody's been through a whole lot the last three years and, and there's i mean that's cliche to say I, I think i've said the word cliche five times in the last 20 minutes but uh <laughs> you know we everybody has been through some serious shit the last three years and if if playing drums can be solace for for you yeah whoever you are don't let anything take that away from you because yep. there's not a lot of drummers on the on the planet there's even less bass players uh but there are not a lot of drummers and we're all in this kind of together and we're we all are here for each other because it's a language we all speak either some of us fluently some of us not fluently it doesn't matter um it's very important to be able to 
sit behind a drum set and just enjoy yourself. And if that means whatever it means, try to find that joy because when you don't have that joy and it's like the thing you love is gone, you're and it's there's nothing worse than that. So well, try to find it. In, in when when it comes to the music business, it is the sum of the parts. It is like it's it's doing a little bit of this and that, recording, teaching, retail, gigging, all these things that make up this thing uh, that we do, and including and and it's what brings you joy. And the podcast and interviewing and having these great conversation is what brings me joy, man. And so I've been looking forward to having you on this for a couple years. Well, we did uh, a quick one at the drum show, yeah, yeah. maybe a year or two ago. Yeah, that was a. Man, talk about an exercise in patience. You did great that day because, like, you couldn't. If any of y'all went to those Nashville drum shows, it gets loud like drum shows do. Oh, and was, yeah. And your host Matt Kraus here killed. I mean, how many interviews did you do in one day? It was like twenty or something. I don't know. Like Zach was there with me, and then now we have the Nashville Drummers Podcast that they are carried on the torch and did that this year at the Music City Drum yeah. Show. And so. Hats off to those guys for braving the elements. Man, you did. You, you did. You were in the trenches all day long. Had the headset on. It was like nothing was gonna. No, nothing was gonna shake so, your focus. I'm glad we could do this for real in person, man. And again, I can't thank you enough for your friendship, for the support that you've uh, helped instigate through Forks for the podcast, for the community writ large, and and all that stuff. So, you're um, welcome. I'm just happy to have you here, man. I, I so thank thank you for for hanging out and dude thank you man this was a real treat i don't know if i don't know if i wasted your time or if you got any of the information that i'll tell you what we're gonna hit record and we're gonna go ahead and start this thing okay that was good that that was a good good outline of what's going every every session i've ever done which is like five uh it's like uh, i'm a i'm a two-take guy so let's let's scratch anything we got on the first one let's try let's try it for real now two takes that's pretty fucking Uh, oh yeah well then you got a lot of sound replacing and doctoring afterwards Uh, Danny, thank you. Thank you, man. I appreciate you. Yes, sir. So there you have it. My conversation with Danny Duchette. Uh, Such a great dude. And again, if you're ever in Nashville, stop by Forks Drum Closet and check out what they've got to offer and uh, chat it up with some of the guys that are there. Stay tuned next week. Zach Albetta will be your host. But for now, everyone, thanks so much for listening and keeping in touch and hope to see you around. Bye-bye.